Welcome to the Professional Plumber Podcast. We hope that these podcasts will bring some insights into who we are and what we do. So while in conversation with the PIRB, sit back, enjoy, and make sure to connect with the PIRB on Facebook or at pirb.co.za for more. Welcome to another episode of the Professional Plumber Podcast. Now, this is yet another lacquer technical conversation. And as usual, for these technical conversations, I have with me Mr. Richard Bailey. Richard, a warm welcome to you. Thanks again for your time and effort to join me for this episode. Thanks, uh, Willem. Thank you very much. And I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be back in a podcast uh, scenario. Uh, it's been too long where we've only had voices. It's time for faces. <laughs> yeah, our puffy cheeks, eh? <laughs> and our receding hairline. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> At least you've still got a hairline, Willem. Man, it's non-existent. Listen, Richard, today we're talking about, in, the, in this episode, we're talking about the primary loop of a solar system. And I do believe that, uh, you know, as usual, the, as, when we have these technical conversations, it's going to be a very interesting conversation. Um, but just before we go into the details thereof, uh, for our listeners and our viewers out there, let's just take a quick ad break. We will see you right after this. The POIRB Master Plumber Recognition Program has officially arrived. As an essential service to society, there must be constant growth and development within this important, ever-changing industry. Developed by the POIRB, the Master Plumber Recognition Program has launched as a new POIRB designation, allowing industry champions to take the lead. Skilled and experienced plumbers equipped to take the lead, enroll today to start your journey in becoming a recognized PIRB Master Plumber. In collaboration with IOPSA, Articulated presents a heat pump installation course with a whopping 10% discount in honor of Women's Month this August. Consisting of seven modules, this course will provide you with knowledge surrounding the types of heat pumps available, the economic benefits of heat pumps, and an overview of the SANS 135 National Standard. For more information or to register for this course and earn yourself five CPD points, be sure to visit www.iopsitraining.co.za. Welcome back. You are still tuned into the Professional Plumber Podcast. It's another technical discussion that we're having today. And today we're talking about specifically the primary loop of a solar system. Richard, I haven't got a clue. I'm a layperson, so I haven't got a clue. What is meant by the primary loop of a solar system? Yeah, so so a solar system, we're talking about a, we're talking about a conventional uh, thermo solar system in other words where we heat water or a heating fluid by means of the sun and we then transfer that actual heat energy into the into the tank so this is the type of solar system we're talking about just for clarification because these days uh, what we call pv solar systems are also uh, quite happily interchanged when we talk about solar systems you know you're never quite sure if you're talking about pv pv by the way is photovoltaic so that's an electronic or an electrical uh, a, a gathering of electric uh, energy, which then heats the water. We're not talking about that. We're talking about thermal solar heating. Okay. So for a thermal solar heater, 
you have a collector on the roof. You have a panel sitting on the roof, which is getting all the nice hot rays of the sun. But we've got to get that heat from that panel to the water in the, in the, in the tank. And so from the cool or lowest port of the tank, which is the lower, the cooler part, because it's lowest where your firm, second law of thermodynamics, your, your hot water will always be on top of your cold water because it's less dense, the cold water is dense. So your cooler water that needs to be heated up by the solar system will flow from the bottom of the tank through a tube or a pipe to the bottom of the solar collector, be heated up, and then flow through a second tube or pipe from the top of that collector, usually to the top of, to the top of the middle of the of the of the tank. Those two pipes and the, the tank and the the collector. So the, the collector, the tank, and the two pipes. That's basically your primary loop. It's the loop in which water flows and the loop in which this heat is transferred by, from the collector and placed into the tank. So the primary loop consists basically of your two pipes that connect the tank and the collector, and it also consists of the actual tank and the collector itself. So that's your primary loop. So Richard, when I think of a loop, I think of something that goes, it comes in from one side and it goes through something and it goes back into like in a circle. Um, to where it came from in the first place. So why is this called a loop? It is It is just that, actually. So usually, and I say usually because under normal uh, static operating circumstances, it is a closed loop. There's no inlet and there's no outlet in, in into or from this loop. Uh, and I say under normal static conditions. Hmm. Um, so it is, in fact, a closed loop. When you apply pressure to one part of it, and you apply a force and you want that water to start to flow, um, it will immediately affect the entire loop. You will affect flow throughout the entire loop. It's not an open uh, U-shaped thing. It's a closed loop, and that's why we call it a loop, because it's not, a, it's not open-ended. It's closed, and, and hence the name or the terminology loop. We're also talking about two opposite directions in which the water flows. Is that correct? That's correct. So when once, because your cold water from the tank is wanting to go down to the collector, if it starts to flow, you have immediate displacement of the water and vice versa. So the, the warmer water flowing to the tank is displacing the cooler water from the bottom of the tank and so you have this kind of a flow motion, and it is an, it's an immediate effect. It's not, there's no lag between this flow starting and then that flow eventually starting. Because water is incompressible, it's an immediate start. It's an immediate start, and it's immediate flow. And th it will always happen in opposite directions. You can never have it happening in the same direction because you, you, you're decompressing here and you're compressing there. It's not going to work. So it's opposite but equal, if that makes sense. Well, it's starting to. <laughs> think of it as a think of it as, as the only well it's 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 the transfer of, of, of heat energy. So you're taking very, very excited water from the top of the panel that has been very, very excited by rays of the sun and it's very active and it is being deposited into the tank 
and you're taking the less excited and less active water, the cooler water, and pu- putting it back into that panel so that it can get excited again. It's like when you watch, uh, Bo, you know, Bo Derek and what's the perfect 10? Uh, that, that sort of, it's like when, when that, that sort of feeling. Uh, uh, yeah. All right. <laughs> now that you put it in that perspective, <laughs> listen, Richard, the mere fact that we're having a podcast and a discussion about this, um, it, that, that translates to me that there are some notif- notable requirements for this loop. Well, given, given the fact that, and it's important to recognize that this loop is the only and primary means of transferring heat from the panel, the collected heat from the panel, or heat energy, into the tank, into a usable form. This is the whole point of a solar system. Why would we have a solar system if we're not trying to collect and, and, and keep the heat in the tank? And this is the only means by which to do it. So it is central to the solar system. There are other things like, I mean, but let's just say this is the only means of transferring that heat. So it is absolutely vital that it's done correctly. And believe it or not, uh, in many, many installations, tiny insignificant seeming details can cause this thing to stop functioning completely and you actually have a stalled system and it becomes it becomes non-functional so it is vital that this thing is installed properly and it's vital that we understand it from a thermodynamics point of view and why it is so sensitive in certain circumstances we'll talk about it in a minute but in certain circumstances, it becomes extremely sensitive to tiny little details. And with one little mistake, you can actually shut it down and you actually have a solar system that just doesn't function. So it's very, very important that we understand it and that we get it right from an installation perspective. Okay, so notable requirements, obviously, you mentioned that. And the reason, therefore, because this is a vital functionality or a vital function and part of the whole solar, you know, the thermal solar water he- uh, heater, um, collector, etc. Um, but is it a case of one set of rules that apply to all? No, and and this is the thing because there are two basically two types of of solar systems. We we're not going to talk about if you're familiar with solar systems, you know that there's more than two configurations in there. But we're not going to talk about the difference between direct and indirect, etc. We're not going to talk about uh, evacuated tubes versus flat flat because that, that doesn't matter in this discussion. What we're talking about here, when we talk about the primary loop, there's two types. Either it is allowed to circulate by means of a natural thermosiphonic action, which takes advantage of, of thermodynamics and the fact that uh, hotter water, more excited water, the molecules of the water get more excited, they push each other further away from each other, the water itself becomes less dense, it becomes lighter, the mass of the water for the same volume is less than that of cooler water, and therefore the whole thing becomes lighter, and so it naturally wants to migrate to a higher position, it wants to flow upwards, and the opposite is true for for cooler water. So the, the more dense cool water wants to go down, it wants to sink, and they they displace each other. And 
a flow starts to occur. Because we've set it up like that, we've set up this primary loop from the correct positions within the system, a natural thermosiphonic flow starts to happen. And this is how this primary loop starts to flow. That's one time where it happens under its own volition and it doesn't need any additional input, energy input for this flow to occur. That's called a thermosiphon system for obvious reasons. So the primary loop on a thermosiphon system is one thing. Then we have a different type of primary loop on a different type of system called a pumped system. And this is forced circulation. So this is where the circulation that I've just described cannot take place because of the orientation of the tank versus the panel. If this is the panel, in a thermosiphon, the panel is lower than the tank and you will have this natural thermosiphonic flow. If those two positions are swapped and the tank is higher than the panel, I beg your pardon, lower than the panel, you have a situation where that thermosiphonic action cannot happen. You have to now force it. You have to force the cold water from a low position to a higher position. You have to force the hot water from a high position to a low position. And that's now called pumped. So that's a forced circulation. It still occurs within that thermal, that um, primary loop. Difference being that you are now inputting power. You are inputting a pump and you are telling the water to do stuff it doesn't really want to do. And so those two loops need very different management, if we can call it that. And it might sound frivolous, uh, but, it's, but it's actually, if you look into the details of how these loops work and, and how easily they can go wrong, um, it, it's frightening how just a tiny little mistake can nullify the, the performance of, of, of these loops, of, of the system. So these two types of loops, Willem, have got exactly the same functionality except they just do it in slightly different ways let's call it that way richard i always say when we have these technical discussions that um, you know as a lay person i learn a lot and I, I don't think that the average consumer out there knows about this stuff i do know that the plumbers know these things and and, and it's nice to have these podcasts or vodcasts for that matter um, you know just to sort of remind them thereof and, and even enlighten those who haven't, because I mean, solar is becoming more and more popular now. Um, there, there, are, there are quite a, a few other uh, aspects of this loop that we need to discuss. But before we do, Richard, for our viewers and our listeners out there, let's just quickly hop into another ad break. We will see you right after this. Good day, how can I help you? Hi. I'm here to log in my COCs, but I seem to be having an issue with my computer. No problem. But did you know that you can log your COCs using an app on your cell phone? Oh, what app is that? It's called The App Plumber. Do you have a smartphone with you? Yes, I do. Oh, well, let me show you how it works. Not only can you access your PRB profile on The App Plumber, but you can also earn CPD points while exploring the plumbing industry in the palm of your hand. Download the app from Google Play Store and join thousands of other happy users. Are you a tradesperson or a trading company that is looking for a platform to market your services? Let Articulated speed up the process for you. You can use our podcast to sell your services. Email us for a quote at organizer at articulated.co.za. You can also visit our website at www.articulated.co.za. 
Welcome back to the Professional Plumber Podcast. Uh, we are doing another technical episode or a technical discussion, and we're talking about specifically the primary loop of a solar system. Now, before we went into our ad break, we, we looked at aspects like what ag- exactly is meant by the, the primary loop of a solar system. We looked at why it is called a loop. Uh, we, we looked at the fact that there are specific and notable requirements for the loop and that it is a vital aspect or factor of a solar water heater installation and system. And we also looked at the fact that there are two different types um, and that it's not one set of rule applies to all. Richard, now that we're continuing our conversation, I'd like to... Um, look at the we did mention the two 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 different ones and we we thought let me get this word right i'm going to read it off a piece of paper here the thermosiphonic type of loop let's look at that one specifically we could we could you just call it a thermosiphon thermosiphon it's (laughs) thermo being temperature and um siphon being you know you know liquid within a closed pipe uh, displacing other liquid or forcing other liquid. You know, when you used to steal petrol out of your mom's car at mm. night to, to fuel your motorbike mm. to go jewel at, at, you know, at half past nine at night when you were 12. <laughs> that, that was the story. So that's how you siphon fuel out of that. But now, thermosiphonic. So it's just, it's a siphonic action as a result of thermodynamics. Mm. And that's hence the word uh, thermosiphonic. So, yeah, let's look at thermosiphonic loop. Um, and because of the fact, and I mentioned it, Willem, that Willem, that this requires zero external input in terms of energy or pumps or anything like that, it will start to flow on its own volition. Mm. It will, given that it is installed correctly. Now, the, the, the forces that we're talking about here to get a, a, quite a lot of water to start to flow are, are the, the forces themselves, the, the, the thermal forces, which, which wants the cool water to drop and the hot water to, to lift, are quite small. They are not big forces. You could easily stop that, that, um, you know, that sort of flow just by putting a little pinky in a, on a pipe and it will stop it dead. So it's not, a, it's not a strong force. Where it gets its its strength from or, or it's, it's where it starts to work is momentum and the, the mass of the water, the combined mass of the water, because there's multiple liters of water that will eventually be on the move in the system. And now you're talking about, and I, the force, the, the name of the force is not in my head and I, I would hate to guess it, but it's a, there is a, there is an inertia that, that is now happening and is more difficult to stop. But, it needs to get started, and that is a very, very small force. So you have to optimize conditions for this force to allow for this flow to begin. And that means because we are talking about the cooler water wanting to drop and the hot water wanting to rise, we have to install pipes, not flat, but at an angle. The pipes have to be at an angle. And there has to be a height difference between where you where the water starts from and where it's going. You can't ask thermosiphonic flow to occur on a flat plane. It won't happen. There has to be a height difference because it wants it has to want to get there. So 
this type of loop has to be installed on a fall, and the more significant that fall is, the better. The best practice or good practice is a minimum height difference between collector and tank of 300 millimeters. That is a, a basic given rule of thumb, although you won't find it in any manufacturer's requirements or in the standards themselves. However, the standards do require you to, if you've got a thermosiphon system, remember that as a solar system, we're talking about something that has been tested and approved as a system, which means collector, tank, cradle, pipes, fittings and everything, which means that the position of the collector and the position of the tank has been predetermined by the factory. And so that height, di height differential is there and it has been tested and approved as sufficient. If you remove the factory cradle and, and frame from the equation, now you're on your own. So now you have to figure that height difference out on your, on your own. And too often we see the guys drop the geezer right down with the, with the panel and it's just not going to work. So hence the 300 mil. If you haven't got a factory cradle, then 300 mil height difference. Okay. So the pipes has to be on a fall, number one. Number two, the pipes cannot be of a lower or a smaller diameter than that of the ports to which they connect. So if the port at the panel and the port at the geyser is 22 mil, you cannot put 15 millimeter pipes in there. They've got to be at least that size pipe, uh, pipes. Okay. If the panel and the geyser are very far removed, you can actually increase that pipe size if, you, uh, if deemed necessary. And that's usually after, yeah, it's, it's case by case and it depends on height differences. But if you're talking about six, seven, eight meters away, that's when you start to increase the, the pipe sizes, but everything starts to become less efficient and everything. So, but, but it never less than, never ever less than the size of the ports. Then they must never have any portion of those pipes level or as a backfall, falling backwards. And I want to point something out, which is quite common when I'm just going to do it with my arms, uh, Willem. If this is your roof structure and your panel is sitting here on the roof and you want to bring a pipe into and through the roof and to your geyser, which is sitting inside of the roof, what often happens is uh, the guys put a pipe in with a, a, a 90 degree bend facing down and another 90 degree bend going up. So the general direction of that pipe is downward sloped but you've got this little dogleg that does this, that little Z shape that does that. And right there, because that little fitting, that little backfall there will prevent that thermosiphon from starting. So if you've even got a small piece of that pipe, which has got a backfall, you're preventing that thermosiphon action from, from happening and it will stall and it will not work. So that's number three. Then lagging. All of these primary loops must be lagged because this is the highway for the transfer of heat. And your, this is the source of your heat uh, delivery system into the tank. It is prone to a lot of heat loss because the, cups, the, the pipes are copper 
and they will lose heat to atmosphere. So they've got to be properly insulated. Um, furthermore, you must ensure that you connect these pipes to the correct ports. Rule of thumb, easy to remember, bottom of collector, bottom of tank. Top of collector, top of tank. And always from a, uh, uh, as, as far as possible, always follow manufacturers. But if you're using a flat plate collector, your connections to that flat plate collector, oh, excuse me, are going to be diagonal, diagonally opposed. If your flat plate collector is there, your connection is going to be bottom of panel here, top of panel there. So it's going to be diagonally opposed. So correct ports. We've already spoken about the 300 millimeter requirement. And then importantly, and we've spoken about this on, even if you talk about normal geyser installations, you have componentry and, and, and things within this system that need to be maintained, replaced, etc. And to facilitate that, you need to incorporate shutoff valves in the primary loop. So you'll have a shutoff valve in the flow and the shutoff valve in the return, one in each loop. So you must be able to isolate the panel from the tank so I can replace the panel without having to drain the tank. And lastly, Willem, these pipes must be properly supported because of their very nature, especially thermosaf, well, any pipes, but especially thermosaphonic action, those pipes mustn't be able to move and, 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 and move around and so on. You must be able, you must support them properly and uh, it all makes for a happy working system. I'm Bit so of happy. a mouthful, but uh, there we go. <laughs> a mouthful. You're saying mouthful now. I'm so happy that you also got that, uh, struggled a bit with that thermosiphonic, that, that term. <laughs> it makes me feel better. <laughs> Listen, Richard. All right, so we've spoken about the thermosiphonic type of, of loop. Let's talk about the, the pumped type of loop. Okay, so much of, much of the same things apply with the pump. So lagging, the shutoff valves, the support, and, and the correct ports to be used. Those all apply exactly the same as they did with the thermosiphonic. They apply exactly the same with the pumped. So we can put that aside. So now... Obviously, you need a pump. So the pump must be installed as close as possible to the geyser on the flow line. Flow line means the cooler water that is from the geyser to the collector. That's the flow to the collector. It also happens to be the coolest part of the entire system, hence the nicest, the friendliest place to put the pump for, uh, because the pumps are also susceptible to you know, severe temperatures and that sort of thing. So it usually is placed on the flow line, as close as practicable to the geyser, and um, which also means that it would probably be situated in or over the tray, okay, of the, of the drip, uh, of the, if there is a geyser with a drip tray, which there usually is, because with pumped systems, you usually have aesthetic requirements and therefore you don't want to see the tank on top of the roof and therefore the tank is removed and put inside the roof space for aesthetic reasons and therefore it is usually the case that it requires uh, uh, drip trays. So if the pump is close to the tank, it will must be installed over the drip tray so that it can be removed without messing water on the ceiling. 
Okay, so when, once you've installed the pump, if you look at the requirements for pumps, you need to have uh, shuttle valves on both the upstream and downstream side of the pump. So you need to be able to go shut off, shut off, remove pump, do whatever you need to do, put new back, and then open up again without messing and draining water and everything like that. So you need two shutoffs on that either side of that pump. And then while you're about it, I want to talk to you. Now, this is a, and now we're talking again about thermosiphon, even though we're talking about a pump system. So, Willem, I'm going to try and explain this. And if you understand it by the end of this, then I know I've done my job well. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Thermosiphonic action is present regardless of the configuration of any solar system. So whether it's a pumped system or a thermosiphonic system, just because it's a pumped system and the tank and the panel have swapped positions doesn't get rid of a fundamental force of nature called thermodynamics, right? So you still have hot water, which wants to be on top, and you still have cold water, which wants to be on the bottom. The only problem is now that you're in a situation where all your hot water has to be stored or you want, would like it to be stored at the lowest point of the system. But it doesn't want to be there. It wants to be on the highest point. And all the cold water, which is now sitting on top of the roof in the collector in the panel, all that water doesn't want to be there. It's dense. It's heavy. It wants to be in the tank. So you've still got this thermosiphonic force happening here. And just because there's a pump there means nothing because that pump will do nothing if it's switched off, which it will be most of the time. So you will have this flow of what we call reverse thermosiphon. And what, it, what happens is all of this hot water migrates to the top. It radiates all its heat out into the atmosphere, becomes cooler, dense, and then starts to displace that hot water again. That happens for a couple of hours and abracadabra, your entire geyser has lost all of its heat, gone. So you've worked all day and then within three hours from 6 p.m. till 9 p.m., your heat is gone. Yeah. So we call that reverse thermosiphon. So to prevent that, you have to install, you have to make, we'll put it this way, you have to um, install some means to prevent that reverse thermosiphon, and that is usually a non-return valve, a spring-loaded non-return valve installed next to the pump, obviously in the same direction as the pump, and, and when I said earlier with the shuttle valves, I said, while we add it, while we add it with those two shuttle valves in situ, we've got a pump in the middle. We might as well put that spring-loaded non-return valve next to the pump, incorporated also between those two shutoffs, so that we can service both of those components while shut off without any mess or hassle to the ceiling, and it's all over the tray, and we're all good. So you've got a pump and a non-return valve next to one another, and then you've got two shutoffs on either side. So that is the configuration that we look for in a pump system. Mm. And that non-return valve is vital because of, I've just explained, but also it's a, it's a valve on a seat and a little bit of dirt here and then, a little bit of iron um, uh, um, uh, you know, um, uh, calcium buildup, it it creates a slight leak uh, between the seat and the, and the washer. 
And all of a sudden, that reverse thermosiphon starts to occur, even though the thing is in there. So you need to service this thing regularly. You need to see it. Open it up, service it once a year. So to have it out in some far-flung corner of the system where you can't get to it and you can't shut it off and you need to drain geysers and it's above the sea, that's not going to work. So put it next to the pump between the two shutoffs where it can be serviced and changed and um, uh, as necessary as as the things, um, as, as, as maintenance requires. Then, Willem, one last thing I'll say about the pumped primary loop is that it can be of a smaller diameter than the pulse. So you can have, because it's forced, you're not relying on this very weak thermodynamic force to start the flow. You've got an electrical pump that will actually force the flow. So to save cost and indeed to save heat loss because a smaller diameter pipe will lose less heat than a large diameter pipe, um, a lot of manufacturers are very, very happy for you to install 15 millimeter piping between the panel and the tank, and that's totally acceptable. So, and that's yeah. So that's the difference between the two types of primary loops. There, Richard. Once again, um, we have drawn to a close of this episode. We have run out of time. Um, again, as usual, I, I keep re- reiterating myself um, about the value of the information that you share in these podcasts. Um, I did mention it ever so slightly uh, throughout this episode. The fact is that solar heaters, solar water heaters and solar water heating systems are becoming so much more popular with the consumers out there. Um, you know, there are a lot of things. We ha- we're talking about load shedding and unreliable electricity infrastructure. We're talking about high electricity costs. So the demand, therefore, and the demand for qualified and, and properly knowledgeable installers is, is growing. It's, a, you know, it's accelerating. So, um, again, this information that you've shared in this podcast about uh, the primary loop of a solar system of vital importance and, and value, great value. So thanks a stack for that, Richard. 100%. Only a pleasure, William. And then to, to our listeners and our viewers, do not go away just yet. We are going to go into some industry announcements, and uh, that's when we're going to say goodbye. So we will chat to you just now. The Champions for Charity event has come and gone and was yet again a huge success. A big hearty thanks to all the sponsors, the donors, the boxers, the attendees and to everyone else who contributed to this awesome event. Between the past three C4C events, the bar has been set and that gives us much to look forward to for the next event. Congratulations to each nominee and winner that was part of the IOPSIS Awards event. It is awesome to see the pride that people take in the plumbing industry. Part of this awesome event was the Master Plumber Recognition Ceremony. We'd like to congratulate people that got this prestige recognition. You are now Master Plumbers. Well done and once again a big congratulations on getting and receiving and earning this prestige recognition. Thanks for having tuned in. Make sure to read more about the PIRB on our website at pirb.co.za and on our social media channels like Facebook, Twitter and Instagram.